Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, it's another flower hour. My favorite hour of the week. <laughs> Mine too. So indulgent, just like baking is. Our favorite indulgence. I think we're really good at indulging. You know, like everybody has something they excel at, and you and me, it's indulging, right? <laughs> On all kinds of things. <laughs> What a wonderful thing to be good at. Anyway, uh, so I'm cutting right to it, man. We got to get to the meat today because you <laughs> had your first pop-up this this past weekend, and I want to know everything about it. Oh, gosh. Wow. What an experience. This is, was probably the most challenging, exciting, stressful, rewarding experience I've had in my entire life. And I am so thankful for all of you that came to San Francisco, that came to Umakaza Restaurant and stood in line. Some people waited 45 minutes to an hour to get in um, at the beginning of opening. And I'm just so thankful and humbled that for all the support and all the love. And when I finally got to get out of the kitchen and walk around and see all everyone's plate cleaned, which just you know made my heart sore. Um, but it was, wow, what an experience. I have so much respect for anyone in the food industry that's doing this on a daily basis. Um, of course, when you do a pop-up, it's extra stressful because you're literally taking all of your things and working around a working restaurant. You know, you kind of, they give you a bit of space and then you have to work around their schedules and they were incredibly welcoming, but it's, yeah, you have to fit into a space and a schedule that, you know, isn't completely yours. And, um, it's a fun challenge. Yeah. Tell me about that part of it. Cause you live in Sacramento, but you didn't pop up in Sacramento because you had an extra layer of challenge. You popped up in San Francisco. Like, what was that like? Like, did you bring all your pans? Did you bring all the ingredients? What was that situation like logistically? Yeah, that's a great question. So for those who do not know, Sacramento is about 100 miles or so from uh, San Francisco. And what I did is I a lot of my pastries included puff pastry. So I made all of those at home. And that took me about eight hours straight, like no breaks, puff pastry after puff pastry, because I hadn't practiced doing really large batches. So I literally did six of my normal batches, which you know, usually think, oh, puff pastry, I get a little a little break while it rests in the fridge. No, it was like I did one batch, the next batch, batch was ready to be rolled. So I've got to find someone who has a sheeter and become their best friend. So I can just <laughs> whip that out in an hour or so. <laughs> just anyway. physically, I bet your arms were exhausted. Exhausted. Oh my gosh, it was mad. Anyway, but really rewarding because I'm telling you, I did some tests, later tests, and I bought like the expensive puff pastry because I like I didn't want to waste any of the stuff I had prepped um, on a test. And so uh, there's like good all butter puff pastry you can get. It's about eleven dollars for like less than a pound. And I'm telling you, it does not even taste as good as what you can do at home with really good butter and a good recipe. So it's really worth the effort, and I know it made a difference. Anyway, 
So that's the only thing that I prepped at home in terms of actual baking. I did bring an extra mixer. I brought all the specialty things um, that I needed, like offset spatulas, thermometers. I had an infrared thermometer, normal thermometers. Um, what else? I, I did a lot of stuff in ring molds, and they didn't have ring molds, so I brought my own. I baked certain cakes in ramekins. They didn't have ramekins, so I had to bring those. Um, so there was a lot of communication about what they had and didn't have. And then I would make up that difference, but things that I, I wish I would have thought of were, and I should have known chefs are very precious about their knives, right? They bring their own knives to work. And so the kitchen has a few set of knives, but they're incredibly dull. (laughs) So I wish I had brought, um, my own knives because I did this nice rolled cake and, um, cutting through that sponge cake was, was, was challenging. And so, and then compounded on the fact like, Hey, you got to get this going. We got to get, we got to get through stuff. You know, you're like, Oh, but this knife and you know, so things like that, you know, you make it through, you do your best, but yeah, I wish I would have brought, brought some good knives. Um, what else did I bring? I mean, just kind of the things that you would bring to make you feel comfortable in that environment. And then when we were there, the pastry chef was there during Saturday, during prep, And that was great to hang out with her and talk about what it's like, you know, to be a pastry chef in that restaurant. And she helped us learn how to use like the giant, giant mixer. And that was fun. I'd never used one of those. And uh, yeah, I so my husband and my friend Steve, I have to give huge, huge thanks to them. They were with me all day on the Saturday prep. And I literally would hand them a recipe and be like, you have to go do this. I because of time, I can't be with you and I can't supervise or do it with you. It's all on you. And they killed it. Woo-hoo. And then on Sunday, my cousin Renee, who is a trained pastry chef and has an incredible um, cake business here in Sacramento, she came and helped. And I was like, you're doing all the frying. You're doing all the piping. And she just took it over. And so that was so nice to be able to trust your your sous chefs or your helpers Um and they just killed it. I was so proud and um, thankful that they could be there with me. What a cool experience. And what a great, I feel like a cool experience for you. And then, of course, I mean, everybody who got to come to get a little like, I feel like your your desserts are like a dessert, but also a vacation. They got a little mini trip to Portugal in a way by tasting these things that maybe we don't get on a regular basis when you're telling me about the desserts that you make so often, it's something that I've either never seen or I've only seen from you or because of you, I follow a few Portuguese accounts. I've maybe seen a few things there, but it's just, it's, it's pure bliss. It's like an escape from your everyday life. What a gift to be able to give to everyone. Oh, thank you. And it was so exciting to connect with the people who came. There were these two ladies who came that were from Macau and Macau. It was a Portuguese territory until the 1990s. And they were like, we are so excited to see somewhere doing Portuguese pastries. We miss this from living in Macau. You can get, of course, all these things there because there's still a lot of Portuguese businesses and Portuguese influences in the cuisine there. Um, And then other people who follow me on Instagram, follow people who have baked baked um done recipe testing for me and the portuguese community who are just like so excited to see these things um here in san francisco and i there are portuguese bakeries in san jose which is a little further south and i definitely chose to do things that they don't offer so it would really be like 
something special and unique that, you know, you right now you can only get maybe in the Portuguese communities on the East Coast or in, in Portugal. So anyway, it was really humbling. And I'm so happy I can share this love for Portuguese pastry. And then to see that love come back and people enjoying the things that we made is um, pretty incredible. Well, big congratulations to you. And my heart is just bursting with pride because I'm just so proud of you and all that you do. And you share your your passion in such a beautiful and generous way. And I'm just, I mean, I just can't wait to see all the other things that you do. But right now I'm just soaring high on, on this past weekend. It just makes me makes my heart sing to follow along and see the really cool things that you're making and sharing with the world. It's a, it's just a really special thing. So thanks for sharing it with me and with everybody listening. That means so much to me and I'm just full of goosebumps bumps and um, warm feelings. But speaking of pride and speaking of soaring, I am mirroring that feeling because you had a big weekend. You taught these amazing sold out classes about cake decorating and I want to hear every detail and I'm just so excited for you. Well, it was really cool. Is um, Thank you. Um, it was kind of a dream come true that I didn't know I had. And sometimes those are the funnest dreams to come true. Like things that you get these opportunities sometimes and you're like, Hmm, I never really thought that that would be my thing. And then you start to really enjoy it. I feel like maybe I'm just really out of touch with my emotions, but sometimes (laughs) things come across that I'm like, I didn't realize that I would want to do that. But, um, I got asked to teach these two classes. It was at a conference called a Penner's conference. And it's all based around the idea of like Pinterest and people who love Pinterest coming and learning new skills. And then also it's in this huge convention center where there's booths of different vendors offering products. And I'm a brand ambassador, you guys know, for Better Body Foods. So they gave me this opportunity to teach the class. Um, they were like, you know, do you want to do this? I'm like, sure. They're like, what do you want to teach? I'm like, well, cake decorating. And then it was months ago. And then when I started planning the class, I was really excited about the opportunity to share information, but also whether it's Instagram or teaching or whatever, sometimes I hit these places where I'm like, what is the point of all of this? Like, here I am, I'm going to teach this class about cake decorating. And I really don't care if my cakes are perfect, if the sides are perfectly smooth, or if the border is perfectly perfect, or whatever, like, I'm just not into that. And I started really questioning, like, am I the person to teach this class? Maybe I'm not, you know, because I could, I can pipe a, a pretty good border, like I'm confident in my piping skills, but it's not, um, that meaningful in my heart. So it's like, if I'm going to spend an hour with these people sharing skills, why? And then I went down this whole rabbit hole because it can never be easy in my brain of why is cake decorating? Why is cake design important? And you guys know the artistry is really important to me, Jeremiah. We've talked about that so much, but yeah. anyway, so I was trying to figure it out and I thought, One of the most frustrating things I ever experience is when I want to make a design come to life and I don't have the skills to do it. Like I have this image of what I want to create, but I don't know how to get there. And so I thought, 
I have this opportunity. People are going to be there and maybe they have this great cake idea that they just can't quite bring to life. So I started the class by explaining that I'm not trying to teach you how to make cakes like me, but to hopefully find ways that you can be really creative and bring the things you have in your own mind to life. And that was a real gift to me to have the time to plan the class and think about why is this so important to me? For me, it makes my heart sing to have the chance to be creative, which is very different than trying to be perfect. And I think there's so many classes on cake or any sort of craft that we may learn where it's like, here's the right way. And if you practice, maybe you'll be as great as me. And that was not the tone that I wanted. And thankfully, I think that came across. So that was my favorite part of the class was just being able to share like, kind of give permission. My mom always says like, you have to give your brain permission to do certain things. Sometimes I just wanted to give everybody permission to try their creative ideas and, and hopefully give them some skills so they can be as successful as they wanted to be. But that was the the class. That's what it was all about. And to uh, have that opportunity was just a treasure. Like I'll treasure it forever. Total gift, total, total gift. That is so refreshing, that perspective. And as you were telling the story, I was like, I already knew, like, this has got to be about creativity. And I love <laughs> that that's where you went and that giving permission, because baking is for everyone, right? It's not about an exclusive set of people with an exclusive set of skills. It's for everyone and teaching them, oh my gosh, I'm goosebumped again and warm feeling. <laughs> awesome. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So hopefully to many more classes here to come. But one weird thing I'll say is I had to wear a microphone on my face. That was strange. So anybody who's ever had to present with a microphone under my hair, it was like taped to my skin so that I wouldn't fling it off since I'm very uh, let's say active. <laughs> I was kind of like running around like a maniac anyway. Uh, so that, that's just like one little random, like behind the scenes tidbit that was kind of strange, but yeah, it was a cool experience and one that I hope to have again. And one that I hope to have with you. I just, the whole time I kept doing it, I was yes. going, I wish Jeremiah was here. I wish this was like a flower hour thing. Like I want to do a flower hour class. I want to do a big, like, I don't know. Yeah. I just couldn't get you out of my mind. I had to stay focused on the task at hand, but you kept popping in there. <laughs> same, same. I was like, oh, it'd be so fun to have Amanda here and in the kitchen together, sweating and getting it done. But people, this is going to happen. There's going to be a flower hour tour. I just yeah. know it. Yeah. We're just putting it out there into the universe, into the airspace right now. And, and it'll come back to us. It'll, it'll come back yep. and be a real thing come to life. So, okay. Well, we have some listener questions. Um, speaking about teaching and engaging, do you want me to go first, Jeremiah, or do you want to start with yours? What do you want to do? I have mine ready. I'll okay. go. So this is from Lindsay Mackey and she has a couple questions. The first is about bread kneading. She says, I make homemade bread weekly for my family. I test that the yeast is active in a bowl of warm water and a little sugar and add all the ingredients to a stand mixer using the dough hook. Once the dough comes together, I need it for a few minutes. Is that enough? How do you know how long to knead dough for different types of bread? Great question. So, Amanda, do you have anything you'd like to begin with? 
Uh, well, I mean, first I would just say, I feel like that's an entire episode or even a series right there of like, (laughs) (laughs) we could do like, you know, a bread season even. I always feel like bread's one of those topics that you could spend your whole life and could you still really call yourself a bread master? I don't know because it's Uh, elusive and extensive. As far as like how long to need different types of bread, that feels like a really hard question to answer. How long to need in general? I mean, if I'm not sure how to how long to need something, typically I just mm. does it spring back. You know, that's kind of looking at the texture. Like yeah. if I poke it, if my fingerprint just stays in there, then I know yeah. it's probably it hasn't built up enough elasticity, and I'll keep going. Um, if you know, if the recipe doesn't have directions, because everything's kind of different. But that's kind of right. my go-to quick test. I don't know. What about you, Jeremiah? So yeah, like I echo everything you said. And so I'm just kind of thinking of maybe two types of bread in my mind. And one is an enriched dough or a dough that has a more um, tighter crumb, which means it uses more kneading. And one way I love to check to see if the gluten development is sufficient is the window pane test. And that means you take a small piece of dough and you stretch it very gently and to see if you can stretch it so thinly that you can almost see through the dough and then you know your gluten is good. If it breaks or tears really easily, you need to need a bit longer so it develops a bit more structure. Now for more um, European style doughs, like more uh, rustic breads, breads that are maybe use a sourdough starter, you usually want those to have big bubbles and open texture, open crumb, which means the kneading has to be very, very strategic. And you'll see most people do what are called stretch and folds. And this is where you stretch the dough gently and then fold it over itself. And you do a few of these every half hour or so, but there's, there's different ways of approaching that as well. Um, and that allows the dough to build its strength without creating that dense, tight crumb that you would get from constant kneading. But then again, there's contradictions. There are different types of those those doughs that also get more kneading. So find a good recipe, find a good book by someone who's a really respective bread baker and um, play around with their, their recipes and learn from them is what I'd recommend. Um, but I think the three tips that we gave you are really great to start off with. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we have a bread series that we need to do because it's a fun topic and yeah. it is so intense that it, it would take it a lot is. of time, I think, to properly exam- examine and explore. Yeah. And just to throw another wrench into it, just for fun, <laughs> is if you follow Zoe Francois, her whole series is about making the bread or dough and then putting it in the fridge for quite a bit of time. And that time in the fridge creates the gluten structure. So that's a totally different way of approaching it that doesn't involve hardly any kneading at all. And it actually works, totally works. So there are different ways to go about it. All right, next question. This is fun. Yeah, it is fun. Okay, so next question from Instagram from the screen name. I love it. It's Colonel K Sander. <laughs> so it's C-O-L-O-N-E-L-K-S-A-N-D-E-R. And it says, Hey, Amanda, I love flower hour. It makes my long commute a lot less terrible. Smiley face. I had a question. Is there a good way to transfer a cake after decorating slash frosting to another surface? For example, if I decorate 
a cake on a turntable, what is the best way to then transfer it to a cake stand? Thanks. So I love this question because it's something I do almost every day. So I feel like I have a really nice solid answer for you after some personal trial and error. Um, what I do pretty much every time is first, if I'm decorating it on a turntable and then I'm going to transfer it to a cake plate or cake stand or another cake board that's larger, don't do any of your finishing decoration that's on the base of the cake, like a piped border on the base until you have it in its final resting place, because that's just a nightmare that you don't want to deal with trying to move something that has a piped border um, is it's, it's a losing battle. So don't do that. If you're just moving it because you've already smoothed your sides or decorated your sides, or you're not doing any decoration on the base, definitely chill the cake. If you chill the cake that most frostings have tons of butter, definitely chill your cake because most frostings have tons of butter and it becomes really firm in the fridge. So if you chill your cake, then you can use a sharp, either offset spatula, use the sharp edge or an actual knife and kind of make a little cut around the edge of the cake once it's chilled. And then you can lift it and move it to another place without dinging up that bottom edge. Um, if, if you try to move it while it's room temperature, it's just so much more smushy and stretchy and draggy that the frosting kind of goes everywhere. And also if you chill it and you don't make the cut and you just lift the cake straight up, it can kind of crack that bottom edge of frosting and leave it looking jaggedy. So unless you are covering with a piped border, then you have some repair work to do. So that's my tip for that. That's a great one. Jeremiah, do you have anything to add? Cause I know I'm not the only cake person up in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love everything you said. And then I also love the big giant cake spatula mover. I think it's made by Nordic wear, but it's like this giant round and I find that so helpful to get a great leverage under a cake as you move it. And that's really helped me too when I'm placing a tier, you know, stacking tiers of like wedding cake, for instance. Um, but then I'll always use another like big um, offset spatula on the other side of that giant cake lifter. So that way, when I set it down, I can, I don't have my hands under it because I feel like my hands are too thick and to have that to have like to put one down, pull it out. And then the other one you can just slide out is a bit safer. And I end up damaging things less than when I use my hands. But I, I really do that mostly when I'm doing stacked wedding cakes. I think I would do it. You, you do Amanda when I'm just putting it on a cake stand. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I use, I did, I didn't mention, but I, I typically use my Wilton lifter. It's not round, but yeah, it's same. flat. And yeah. So I'll use that, but I do use my hands. Maybe it's cause I have lovely dainty lady hands, but I just, <laughs> I kind of do a countdown in my head. I'm like three, two, one, and like pull my oh. hand out really fast. Yeah. And most of the time it works. Sometimes there's like a little fingerprint that can be quickly pushed down. Again, if the frosting is chilled, it's easier to do that. So yeah, good, good tips, good caking tips there. Um, I have another question from, let's see, this is also from Instagram. It's from L Hilton 428. And she wants to know, where do you recommend buying quality ingredients online for chocolate, vanilla beans, or cake flour? For example, my grocery store only has one brand, Baker's, and I know using higher quality chocolate and other ingredients impacts the final product. Thoughts? So I'm throwing this one to you, Jeremiah. 
Well, I love Amazon. Amazon's fantastic for all this kind of thing. Um, so I would start there. And I love to com- I love that you can compare products, you can compare reviews, you can see, you know, the prices and I think that's really helpful. Um, however, for chocolate, to be honest, if I unless I'm doing something really specific and I really want Valrona, Calabat or whatever, you know, I'll order that online. But I love the Belgian chocolates they have at Trader Joe's. They're really affordable and they're high quality and they come in big blocks. So that's a good place I go to for just standard, good, good chocolate. And they come in like super dark, 72%, 66%. And I think their milk is around 50, 53%. No, it's probably in the 30s. Anyway, that's what I recommend that way. Um, for flowers, also check out, I mean, go to King Arthur dot com um rob's red mill um any of the big flower companies generally sell online and you may even find some local flower companies in your area if you have if you live in that part of the country that grows flower you can source local stuff which is really 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 fun um but for cake flour honestly like you just need a good bleached cake flour so anything that's bleached is i, I say go for that um there are unbleached cake flours but they're not going to perform uh, the same as a bleach cake flour. So it really depends on your recipe. For instance, if you're making angel food cake, you really need bleached cake flour. The unbleached won't perform. You won't get the height and the tenderness as you would with the, the bleached product. Yes to all of that. Yes, yes, yes. Amazon, that was going to be my main go-to just because exactly what you said, and like the products are reviewed, you can compare them. So same, same, Jeremiah, you have my brain. I have your brain. We share a brain. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've always shared a brain since the show. That's so funny. <laughs> so yes to that. And then I have one more. So this is also from Instagram. A very, very long screen name. Let's see. It's Marmalade Homemade Baking HHI. So from Marmalade Homemade Baking HHI. It says, do you glue the smaller board of the cake to a larger board on the bottom? Love the podcast, by the way. Woohoo! We love that. So, um, okay. I'm curious what your answer is for this, but the question is like, basically, so you have the cake board that's the same diameter as your cake. And then if you move that onto the larger cake board, so you have the little edge poking out, do we glue the two together? I use a little dabble of frosting to kind of glue the two together. I mean, if I was going to do some really violent transporting, which I try to avoid, maybe I would actually use real glue, but um, frosting has always done the trick for me. The weight of the cake combined with like that little bit of just something that sticks them together is enough. Um, Have you ever used anything other than frosting, Jeremiah, to kind of stick the two together? Sometime, you know, okay, no, I'm thinking about how I get it to stick to my cake stand. Sometimes I'll use a wet piece, wet piece of paper towel. Um, no, it's either, no, yeah, I guess sometimes tape, but uh, like, you know, you double side, double, not double sided tape, but you like make a loop make or something. Tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that may not, but 90% of the time it's, it's icing or ganache if I'm using ganache. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Ganache would be awesome since it totally like sets as it sits. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So frosting is the glue of choice for cake bakers. sounds like. (laughs) 
And I have one more question from Lindsay Mackey, and it's about frosting, and this is so up your alley. So she says, frosting, my go-to chocolate cake is Ina Garten's Beatty's chocolate cake. I have always made the buttercream frosty that is frosting that is provided with that recipe. We heard you ask a guest what their favorite type of buttercream was, and I didn't know there were different kinds. I don't love the recipe that is provided with Ina's recipe. I like it. I don't love it. And I'm wondering if there are other types of buttercream I'd like better. Okay, this is a great question. Again, I'm dying to do a, a, a full episode about this, like a full buttercream palooza. Buckle up, people. It's buttercream time. <laughs> okay, we already have the tagline, so we have to do the episode. Anyway, um, other kinds of this is a buttercream. Preview. I'm going to assume that this is an American-style buttercream, so it's probably butter and powdered sugar, and I think it was chocolate that she mentioned, so some kind of yeah. cocoa powder or either melted chocolate put in there. So when we say American style buttercream, it's basically just butter, powdered sugar, some type of liquid most of the time, maybe heavy cream or milk. And certainly you can be creative there and add something else. And then a flavoring anywhere from vanilla to something more exotic. Um, American buttercream is great. It's one of my favorites. The biggest complaint I hear about it is that it's too gritty and too sweet, but I think there's ways to fix that by a longer mixing time and also by balancing the sweetness. We have control, and that's that's one thing that makes me feel really empowered in my kitchen is when I don't like something, instead of just immediately going, I don't like American buttercream, is like, how can I fix this? What do I not like about it? If it's too sweet, can it be balanced with some acid? Yes, it can. Can it be balanced with something salty? Yes, it can. So thinking about it from that way, um, you may be able to fix, you know, to your palate, this Ina Garten recipe. I don't know. Maybe it's already fixed to her palate and you need to fix it to yours. So there's that. And then as far as other kinds of buttercream, I feel like the buttercream having its major moment in cake land right now and, and has been for a little while is Swiss meringue buttercream. Wouldn't you agree, Jeremiah, that's kind of like yeah. the shining star lately? You see that all the time. And definitely when we've asked this question, that's the one that comes up most often. Yeah, we're hearing that a lot. And it's a beautiful buttercream. It, just like from an appearance perspective, it's it's a little bit shiny. It's very silky. From an eating perspective, it's also... I would even describe it in the same way, shiny and silky in your mouth. So super smooth yep. because all of the sugar that's in there is dissolved into egg whites over a double boiler before you whip it up into a meringue. So you will not have a gritty Swiss meringue buttercream unless somebody just really screwed it up. If it's properly made, <laughs> it will be silky because the sugar is fully dissolved. And then after it's whipped up into the meringue, um, and cooled, you add room temperature butter in there, and that's what makes it the buttercream. Um, so that's Swiss meringue buttercream, which I feel like if you're following a lot of cake accounts, you you were probably seeing this as much as any anything else. Like most of the time, you're pretty safe to even assume that that's what it is. If not, it's probably American. One of my favorites, though, is Italian. I think people feel a little nervous to do it sometimes. Yep. But I like it because I don't have to do the double boiler and then I don't have to stand there and whisk and mix and make sure that the sugar dissolves. So Italian buttercream is very similar to Swiss meringue 
where you heat the sugar into a sugar syrup to 240 degrees, right, Jeremiah? I'm so bad at numbers. Yeah, yep. 240 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you just create this really hot sugar syrup that you drizzle into your partially beaten egg whites and make your meringue that way. And then from there, it's totally the same as Swiss meringue. You just get it to room temperature and add your room temperature butter to finish it off. The, I think the finished product actually is really similar to Swiss meringue. Super if similar. you just did like a taste test, it would be probably hard to tell the difference. But yep. I do think that because you've heated the sugar to that higher temperature versus the Swiss meringue where you're just melting the sugar and getting it warm, it's yeah. a little bit more stable. So if you're in a situation yeah. where you need a buttercream that can hold up a little better, I would recommend going for the Italian. And then from there, there's a lot of lesser known. We've talked about ermine on here before. That's the style of cooked flour milk. You almost make a gravy and turn that into a buttercream. There's German buttercream. Major chit chat about German buttercream. There's French buttercream, which uh, I love making French buttercream. If you've ever had like an opera cake, a slice of opera cake, that's most likely the kind of frosting that's been in there. There's no meringue, but it's actually really, really similar to the Italian meringue buttercream. It's just, you're pouring that sugar syrup onto egg yolks, which means more fat. And it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) It's very rich. So soft and luxurious. Yeah, super silky. Although I don't love that. I don't know how you feel. I don't love that on a traditional layer cake because it's just, it's too no. much, but it's great if you're doing thin layers of frosting, thin layers of cake. So, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, my love letter to buttercream could go on for quite some time. Is there anything you want to add, Jeremiah? I would just say that if you wanting to try something new, Lindsay, go for Swiss. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great. Why didn't you answer the question, Jeremiah? It's so nice and ah, concise. Ah. I'm like, no, 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 buttercream for life. And you're like, do the Swiss. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, do what he said. That's smart. <laughs> no, no. I, I, it's perfect because I don't even think she was aware of all these different kinds. And so now, and we've also given now a good preview of we're going to go hard and deep into this buttercream, yes. make a whole issue, issue, issue. Yeah. An issue yeah, about yeah. it. An issue, <laughs> a whole issue. I like that. A whole podcast. We're going to take you there, take buttercream downtown, uptown and every which away. <laughs> Okay, well, other than uh, buttercream and pop-ups and teaching classes, talking about creativity, I feel like we've already had a full episode. Should we just go now? Like, bye? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We have a guest. We have Nicole Silva joining us today. Uh, What do we know about Nicole Silva, Jeremiah? Oh my gosh, she's also an American Baking Show alum. She was on season one when when it was called the Great Holiday Baking Show. And she was a total favorite of mine. So sweet and a complete cookie expert. And speaking of cookie experts, she was just on the Food Network Christmas Cookie Challenge as well. So you may have seen her on there. And again, cookie experts, she has her own bakery where you can get cookies and a whole lot more called Crumbles Bakery. Have you seen her monster shakes? 
Uh, yeah, they've been popping up in my feed oh. recently on Instagram. What? What? They're so <laughs> fun. These decorated milkshakes that look like all kinds of things from unicorns to Cookie Monster to, I mean, you, you, your imagination could go wild. They're really fun. So, so fun. And you may even see her doing a lot of teaching herself because she is a former school teacher, but she's now doing a lot of teaching related to baking as well. So I'm excited to learn from her and hear what she has to say about all these really cool baking experiences. Nicole, welcome to Flower Hour. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Uh, We're doing great. I'm so excited to have you on and any excuse to chit chat with you is a good one. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. No, thank you so much for having me. So what are you up to today? Are you in your bakery? Yes, I am definitely in the bakery, my home away from home. So you'll be hearing oven buzzers going off pretty soon here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you need to grab a cake, we won't keep you. We understand. I know you guys do. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, as usual, I like to kind of start from the beginning and hear where baking started for you. So when and how did it become a passion for you, Nicole? Um, My grandmother has always been the baker in our family. And so from an early age, I was at her side just absorbing all of her knowledge and Uh, you know, standing at her side as she was baking things. Uh, My parents are both in the military, so she raised me for a good bit of my youth. And um, so from that time, I always loved it. Like baking always kind of reminded me of that time that I spent with her and my childhood. Um, And then I was teaching, so I didn't, you know, bake as much. And then when I took a break to stay at home after I had my kids for a while, I kind of rediscovered my love for cooking. I love that. It's so sweet. Baking with family is the best. I agree. So tell us what happened later. How did you get more involved into baking? How did it become a bigger part of your life? So um, I took about a seven-year break from teaching to be a stay-at-home mom. And during that time, I was like the president of my mom's group. And I loved throwing extravagant parties. And so that's kind of when I started to... um, develop a love for like uh, beautifully baked goods and things that were decorated and not just things that, that taste good. I'll, you know, although I love something to taste good, I, I started to get more into like party style treats that were really like showpieces for parties or takeaways and things like that uh, as a stay at home mom and uh, throwing my own kids parties. I think it started at my daughter's third birthday. She wanted a ballerina themed birthday party. And so of course, me being the crazy party mom that I am, I took all the furniture out of our formal living room, put up uh, floor to ceiling mirrors. Every kid had a bar. Um, I dressed as Madame Tutu uh, with a full tutu and a a Chion (laughs) bun in my hair. And my mom sewed little tutus for all the girls. And I wanted these ballet slipper cookies that would have each of the girls' names on it that I could use as the uh, their nameplate uh, um, at the table. And um, so I decided, oh, you know, I'm going to make it myself because I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm doing everything on a budget. And I just it took some practicing, of course, and some research and trying a bunch of different recipes. And then after that party, of course, Everybody came and was like, oh, you made that? This is delicious. It's so beautiful. Can you do that for my kid's party? And then it just kind of blew up from there. 
That's such a cool way for it to start just from like figuring out a way to do something, doing it, having success, and then people liking it. I think that's a really like interesting way to kind of foray, foray into a passion and a business like out of nowhere. That's really cool. Exactly. It kind of just started for me doing it for my own kids. And then, you know, I would do it for my friends' kids when they had birthday parties and invited us. I'd bring that as the gift. And then it just kind of everybody who attended those parties then wanted me to hire me to do their events. And so it just kind of started organically, I guess, from that. That's awesome. And of course, so Jeremiah and I first learned about you when you were on the Great American Baking Show. So what kind of led you from this very start of, you know, making more and more to then ending up on the Great American Baking Show? What was that like for you? Honestly, it was the craziest experience. And I say that because I started out doing cookies. Although I did lots of other things for my own family, I didn't, I, my business was only selling cookies at that point. And so um, somebody um, on social media, of course, tagged me on this post and said, oh, I think you'd be great for this. And so I, I can't remember, I had to send an email or something saying I was interested for the Great American Baking Show. And then they contact me back and they're like, oh, you sound great. We want to do a phone interview. So they like call me and they're asking me all these questions. And I'm like, uh, I have no clue. Like some of the questions they were like, what's a, a pat of show? You know, do you know what a pat of show is? I was like, a pat of what? <laughs> uh, no, I'm kind of like a country girl who makes like biscuits and sweet potato pie. So after I got off the interview, I was like, yeah, Bob, I, I didn't know half the stuff he was asking. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. They have no way they're calling me back. <laughs> and so when they called me back, I was like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> and um, so I was really shocked because I thought, uh, and even now I feel like I don't have the most sophisticated of palates. Like I'm very, uh, like I said, I grew up at my mother, my grandmother's side and she is as Southern as they come. So if you want some peach cobbler and some Southern biscuits, like I'm your girl, but if you want like, fancy stuff. It's just not my, like, I don't ever put lavender in anything that isn't like something that I would bathe with. I, you know, it's just not something I grew up using because I, and I still, like I said, consider my palate not to be the most sophisticated palate. I'm very country and things that I like and things that I make. <laughs> well, how did you take that experience on the baking show and use it to help open your bakery and create this whole really exciting life that you have. Can I interject here? I'm just going to interject really fast. I love that question. But before we get to it, I just have to say, just in case anybody listens, one, I think it takes a ton of bravery. If you haven't seen the show, Nicole was on the first season. So it's like, what is this show? What am I getting myself into? And for the record, this country girl who claims to not have a sophisticated palette made it to the finals and did extremely well. So I just have to like throw that out there, like a big kudos to you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I was going to yeah. say to um, Jeremiah's question that, that I did learn from it that I was better than I thought I was. So I went in thinking, oh God, if I just make it past the cookie round, because cookies are my thing, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, I just got to make it past the cookie round before I get eliminated, you know? And, um, and then after I made it past that round, I'm like, oh, okay. 
now I want to do this. Now I want to do that. And now, and, and I did find myself pushing past things that I thought I couldn't do, you know, like that I are experimenting with things that I thought I would never try. Um, and even changing up some of the things because I knew that the people tasting them might say, oh, this is too sweet. And I'm, you know, this Georgia girl who puts 12 packs of Splenda in her coffee, you know, so nothing's too sweet for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to like, just kind of change the way I would do things normally a little bit to try to adjust them for other people's taste and not just my taste. That makes sense. So what happened next? So you finished the show. You've got all this confidence. I got on the show. I did. It, it really helped with my confidence. And after that, whereas before that, people had only contacted me wanting cookies. After the show, people wanted everything. They wanted me to make all different kinds of baked treats, the things that they had seen me make on the show. And so I kind of started broadening my horizon a little bit and looking past just Cookies, because while I love cookies, they are super time consuming and have the least, um, I make the least amount of money on them because they're so time consuming. So as far as art, it's great to make. But as far as a business, I don't make as much money doing cookies as I do other things like cakes and cupcakes and, you know, just other kinds of treats. So um, when I came back, I started making other things for people. People loved it. And then um, I did my taxes like at the year after I was on the show, we did our taxes that next year. And me and my husband are sitting down and we're like, oh, my God, you made more on your like side baking stuff than you did as your profession in teaching, you know. <laughs> so I started to reevaluate my life choices. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so then from there, I know like right after we finished our show, I came and visited your bakery. And at that point, you were doing it part time. So how did you transition from having a home baked business to having a bakery while being a mom and while being a teacher? It's like, what, what, what? Like how? I just want to know how you did this. It was the most difficult thing. And I still don't really know how it happened. Um, I, you know, I was on the show, it aired that December, in December, that next November the 12th. So less than a year after the show started, I opened a bakery, but I had already signed a teaching contract until that June. And I wanted to honor that commitment. So I opened the bakery November the 12th and we were only open Friday nights, Saturday and Sunday. So I would literally teach all day and then come to the bakery at night to prep. And we had no staff either. It was just me and my family at that point. And so um, I would just prep all week and then, you know, bake all night on Thursday night and then be ready to open and then bake all night every night. And I really just didn't sleep very much at all. And um, yeah, and all of our family time was spent here at the bakery after school. So... (laughs) Uh, it was a rough nine months <laughs> until, you know, the school year was over in June. And then I got to kind of commit, you know, more time in the bakery. So what is your schedule like now? You know, I thought I would get to sleep more, but that's not the case. Um, I oh, no. still work every single day, even though now we're open 
to the public with like as a retail bakery Thursday through Sunday. And then I'm still here Monday through Wednesday for appointments and consultations and to work on some of our uh, corporate orders because we do a lot of uh, corporate and catering orders. So yeah, I'm here every day. On Monday and Tuesday, I made a New Year's resolution that I would leave after I picked the kids up from school so that I would only be here until five. But that just hasn't happened every week. So (laughs) I'm still here a lot. So yeah. And sometimes, honestly, I have a cot here. Like if it's usually like Thursday through Saturday, sometimes I just can't even leave. I'll just have to work for like three days straight. Wow. Yeah. I think that's so impressive and inspiring. And also right now I'm kind of on a chef's table binge on, on Netflix. The the pastry season came out. So I really enjoyed that. And then, but now I'm going back and rewatching and so many of the chefs, it seems like they have a common story of growing up in their family's restaurant or around, you know, their relatives baking and that kind of thing. And so I'm just thinking about your kids there. Like, I think it's, kind of a cool experience to see a family business from the time that you're very, very young and to have that experience. So it's, I'm sure quite a lot on you, but a very cool gift to them and a great memory. I hope so. I think right in the thick of it, because I was a stay at home mom for so long and, you know, like my kids did cheerleading. I was the cheerleading coach. They were in Girl Scouts. I was the Girl Scout leader. They, I was at every single school event. I was a teacher at their school. So we spent so much time, like always there that now it's kind of like a culture shock for all of us because I can't come to every event and, you know, I'm not their coach and their Girl Scout leader anymore. And, you know, so it's definitely been a change and I hope that they'll look back on it and see what you can do if you put your mind to it, because I never would have thought had you told me, you know, even five years ago, I never would have thought that I would have owned a bakery. I mean, I went to, I have a master's degree in curriculum and supervision, a bachelor's degree in elementary education. I was national board certified. I thought I was probably going to be teaching forever. (laughs) Um, Right. So this is like a total kind of shock that I ended up going this route, you know? Oh yeah. Well, speaking of teaching, I am dying to get some tips for you from you about well, decorating cookies. That's not something I'm strong at, and I know a lot of people out there want to know how to get perfect flooding, perfect piping. So, what are your best tips for making the royal icing, getting flooding consistencies, anything that you see that would really be beneficial? to our listeners. So I think that the hardest thing about decorating cookies is icing consistencies. So um, a lot of times people will make that and their flood will be too thin. So it pulls over the cookie or it'll be too thick so that they don't get that soft, smooth finish on top. Um, Some people work with two different consistencies, a piping consistency, which is really and they'll use that to pipe the outside and then a really wet consistency or a flood on the inside. I personally use one consistency. So if you were to make royal icing um, using any recipe that you can find anywhere, you would take your knife or the back end of a spoon and run it through the bowl of royal icing. And I use a a medium consistency so that I can outline and flood with the same consistency. So it's rather thick instead of very soupy. Um, and I save, cause I don't have to color two different types of uh, two different uh, 
consistencies of icing, so it saves me a lot of time. Um, but I do about 15 seconds. So if I were to run a line through the middle of the icing, for that line to disappear would take about 15 seconds. And that for gotcha. me is the perfect consistency. Now, um, piping consistency is, is pretty stiff. And then flood consistency is pretty runny. So for a flood consistency, you would go about six seconds, right? You put the knife through and it would disappear in six seconds. So it's going flat really quick. Um, but like I said, I just use 15 second icing for everything. I can outline with it because it's stiff enough to outline and not fall over the side and then go back and fill with that same consistency. Super helpful. When I offer classes at the bakery, we use one consistency. So we use 15 second consistency for all of my classes at the bakery as well. I think this is so great to hear from you too, because this is like the words of the official cookie master. Because recently, I don't know, also again, if our listeners haven't seen it, I hate to do spoilers, but I have to. You were on the Food Network Christmas cookie challenge as well. So uh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? What was that like? Um, honestly, I felt more in my wheelhouse on the Christmas cookie challenge than I did on the uh, Great American Baking Show, uh, just because that was the Great American Baking Show was every kind of thing that you could bake versus the Christmas cookie challenge was all cookies. And I've been doing cookies longer than I've been doing anything else. So I definitely felt more comfortable and at home and, um, so it was great. I felt almost, and I won't say calm because that's not true, but <laughs> I felt maybe less anxious about it is the right word to use. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Gosh. Yeah. It's, a, it's nice to have, be in a competition that you feel like this is what I do the best. Exactly. And it just, um, like I knew there really probably wasn't anything they could throw at me that I couldn't make work just because, uh, you know, I've been making cookies for so long and I've, it's one of the few memories. I mean, I have severe ADHD and I don't remember anything, but it is one of my few recipes that I like know like the back of my hand. I can do it with my eyes closed. Everything else I kind of have to like think about it super hard, you know, like, is it this many cups? Is it that, you know, and, I, and I'm forgetful. So I'll leave, might leave things out of other recipes, but because I've been doing cookies for so long and even experimenting with different flavors, like adding different things into my standard cookie dough to make it a different flavor. Um, I've done that a ton too. So I knew that there wasn't really probably anything that they could give me that I wouldn't be able to find some use for in my cookie recipe. That is so inspiring. Well, thanks. <laughs> well, we know we have to let you get back to your, your bakery. But one thing we always love to ask is, if you could bake for anyone, dead or alive, what would you bake? And, of course, who would you bake for? Hmm. Let's see. I think if I could bake for anyone, dead or alive, it would probably be Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> and I would make her my gluten-free lemon pound cake. I love that. And actually, that's the second answer for Oprah that we've gotten. Do you remember? Because isn't that who Steph said she would bake for as well? Absolutely. I think so. So, uh, Oprah, the universe is talking to you. We have some bakers ready to make <laughs> delicious treats for you anytime you're ready. <laughs> 
So, exactly. well, Nicole, I hate to let you go, but the bakery calls uh, and you've got to get back to yes, work. Yes. Hopefully you get to go home and you don't have to sleep in your cot tonight. But <laughs> as always, inspired, I might have to, you never know. Uh, I'm wishing you a speedy day of work and then maybe some time in the sun with a cold drink in your hand. That's what I'm wishing for you. All right. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.